We're in a series called All in the Family. And the very first series within a series has been what makes a solid marriage. We've been talking about the idea, the question, what is it that makes a solid marriage? <sighs> marriage is, <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to describe the process of marriage because we go into it with such high hopes and those hopes get dashed very quickly for many people. And soon you fall into the, the pattern of either destruction or acceptance or true hard work to make things work in a marriage. And what I've been trying to get across and what we've been talking about is the way we can build strong Christian marriages. Those are the marriages that are gonna make a difference in this church. Those are the marriages that are gonna make a difference in this world. And most importantly, those are the marriages that are gonna make a difference in your home. A strong Christian marriage. One that is based on the Bible. One that has, finds its foundation in the Word of God. Our text, our text verses for this whole series we find in 1 Peter 4, 7 and 8, and then 1 John 4, 18 and 19. And as we read these, I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 say, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Hey, if you've got your Bible, or if it, is that on the screen? That's on the screen. Let's read together. It does have verse 8. From where it says above, okay? If I had a pointer, I'd point that. Let's read, let's read that together, okay? Because right now, we need to understand that. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. That last part again, since love covers a multitude of sins. You be, uh, let's read 1 John 4, 18 and 19. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. You may be seated. It is incredibly important that we understand the power of love. I'm not talking about Huey, was it Huey Lewis in the news that's saying the power of love? I don't know. I wasn't a Huey Lewis fan, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the power of God's love. The power of God's love in your life. The power of God's love is what gives you salvation. You know that, right? The power of God's love is what takes you from eternity in hell to eternity in heaven. The power of love, the power of God's love is what caused Jesus Christ to come down to this earth and die on a cross and pay the price for your sins. And the power of God's love is what is going to make your marriage strong. The power of God's love is what's going to help you endure the incredible difficulties of your life. Listen, some of you, you've gotten married. I know I keep switching this back and forth. I can't decide whether I want to stand or sit. Some of you, you got married and you didn't know and didn't realize what your spouse had been through and what their family life growing up was. And it was an amazing shock to you to find out not just what they went through, but how that affected them. Trauma is an amazing thing. 
trauma literally changes the wiring of the brain. And your, your, your mind, God has designed us in such a way that our minds stop at trauma. Our minds will not move past trauma until we deal with it, until we face it and work our way through it. God has designed us that way. <laughs> I've used this illustration before. <laughs> the happy times in life, how many of you are fishermen or fisher, fisher people? You like to fish. What's the biggest fish you've ever caught? Honestly. <laughs> it, might, it might have been a, a little sunfish, but when you tell the story, you caught this amazing marlin on a trip off the Florida coast, man, and you fought it for seven hours. You were like the old man in the sea, right? Fishtails grow in the telling. When it comes to baseball, when it comes to my boys in baseball, um, that they, they play well, but I, I add a little to it, man. I make it a dramatic event. You know what I'm saying? So those good events in our lives, we celebrate those and, and, and we can, you know, our, our minds get creative with those. But with trauma, you find that people who have endured trauma can relate the event to you exactly the way it happened decades after it happened. If they've never dealt with it, that trauma has stayed with them vivid and bright all that time. If you don't understand that, listen, First Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't just mean that love covers a multitude of your spouse's sins or love covers a multitude of your sins. True love covers a multitude of the sins that sinned against your spouse. Those who mistreated and abused your spouse. Those who abused your spouse in their childhood. Those who abused their spouse throughout. You say, well, well what relevance does that have? If, you've, if you're in that situation, you know exactly what relevance it has. As a father, True love, has to over, true love has to cover a multitude of sins that were done against Aaron and my sons before they came to us. Because quite honestly, I would love to go back in time and, and do something to those people before they could do something to my boys. Because they will spend a lifetime trying to overcome those difficulties. You see, true love, isn't, true love doesn't just overcome the, the, the sin of, that you commit or the sin that your spouse commits. True love covers the sins that made your spouse the way they are right now. And if we don't understand that, then we're never going to be able to work through those problems and be stronger because of it. The first two pillars we talked about with the pillar of personal faith and the pillar of personal accountability. And last week we started the pillar of personal character. And I used Psalm 51.6 to really drive this point home. Uh, well, back up to uh, 1 Peter 3.4, it said, uh, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing jewelry or fine clothes, but rather the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. The hidden person of the heart. 
the truth on the inside, the one you don't talk about at parties, the true part of you that nobody sees, yet you battle with all day long, every day. The one you try to hide from your spouse, the one that terrifies you, the one you try to keep locked in a box, because if that monster got out, you have no idea what would happen. Peter says what God wants is truth in the inner you. God's not looking for a facade. God's not looking for a show. God's not looking for a mask on you. He's looking for you to be true to yourself and true to him in the inner part of your life. In fact, David said in Psalm 51, 6, surely you desire integrity in the inner self. Many times in our lives, and I think it's very clear in our lives, if we are going to be people of integrity, and if we're going to have functional marriages and functional families, and we're going to be functional parents, and by extrapolation, if we're going to be functional church members, we are going to have to have integrity inside. And that means we're going to have to deal with what's inside of us. We're going to have to deal with the rage and the anger that we feel because of what happened to us. We're not going to be able to keep it locked up all the time. We're going to have to allow God to get into those dark places and help us deal with those things. It may, oh man, it's tough. It's difficult. Because a lot of times it, it, it means admitting failure and fault on our part. And we don't like that. Many times it means admitting the truth about someone that you have held up to be so amazing to others. But the fact of the matter is, if you are going to be a person that is functional in your life and functional in marriage, you are going to be true in the inner self. And we started talking about this idea of the pillar of personal character. The first point that we got to was this, the pillar of personal character begins with true love for each other, true love for others. If we're going to be people of true character, true godly character, we must have true love for others. Not fake love, not an act, not lust, not jealousy, true and honest Christ-like love. Why? Because he loved us. Because what motivated Jesus to come to the cross was love. Because what motivated God to send Jesus down to this earth was love. So what should motivate us to try to be the best person we can be, the best husband we can be, the best wife we can be, should be true Christ-like love. The second thing, second part of this pillar that we talked about was this, self-respect. And I said this, if you can't respect yourself, no one else will, including your spouse. If you can't respect yourself, then no one else will, including your spouse. You've got to have, and that doesn't mean, that, that doesn't mean you, you are arrogant and prideful. That means you respect who you are. You take care of yourself. You invest in yourself. You build yourself. You grow yourself. You work on yourself, and you do your dead level best to grow as a follower of Christ and learn how to respect yourself for who you are. That means, that means accepting who you are in Jesus. So many of us want to be something different. We want to be something else. But we don't want to accept who we are. Listen, you'll never be more until you begin at the beginning and accept who God has made you. That's called having self-respect. That brings us to 
the third part of the pillar of personal character, and that third part is humility. Third part of personal character is humility. Dave Willis said, in every relationship, remember this, pride poisons, humility heals. In every relationship, please remember this, pride poisons, humility heals. John Maxwell said, humility is being secure enough to admit that you do some things well and others not so well. That's true humility. People have asked me why, I've, I've actually had people say to me, you were done, man. You had made it. It was, you were free. Why in the world did you adopt at your age? And I'd tell them, I'm very, very honest. First of all, I've, <laughs> I've got a lot of love to give and I know our, our family, it was time for us to to seek to have children in our home. And I tell people quite honestly, it's not fake, it's not, it's not false humility, it is honestly what I believe and what I, this is exactly what I believe to be true about myself. I'm not very good at many things in life, I'm really not. I'm good enough to play, I was able to play, uh, good enough to play sports in, where I could be competitive, but I was, I was a far cry from being a professional athlete, I mean, a far cry. We have a young man, he's not a young man anymore, from our town, Nick Ahmed, that is playing, he's, he's an all-star shortstop for the Arizona Diamondbacks. You wanna see somebody who could play, uh, play sports, bring Nick in here and we'll compare skills. <laughs> okay, it's not gonna happen. I played soccer, I was a pretty good soccer player. I was the most valuable player on my high school soccer team. Can I tell you, there were only 73 kids in my high school. <laughs> Pastor Osvaldo played professional soccer in Brazil. Pastor Osvaldo could show me a thing or two, or three, or four, or 10 or 12 about how to play soccer. And while I would be trying to defend him, he'd be, you know, just dancing around me, scoring goal after goal after goal. So I'm not very good at many things in life, and that's just honest. That's not John trying to be you know, self-deprecating or anything like that. That's just me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really good at anything in life, except being a father. I'm a good dad. I know that. I'm a good father. And it's probably the best thing I've done in my life, is being a dad. So I said, if I'm a good dad, why don't I keep doing that? <laughs> Why don't I be a good dad to two little boys who need a father? You go with what you know. Humility is being secure enough to admit that you do some things well and others not so well. That holds true in a marriage. One of the most important things, one of the most important concepts that we have to grasp when it comes to marriage that is really seeming to fly away right now and not wanting to be understood and grasped by society is this. God says two become one. In a marriage, two become one. 
If you don't grasp that concept, if you're constantly fighting against that concept, if you don't understand that it's important that two become one and that the only way two will become one is if you humble yourself and say, I am not the most important part of this relationship. She is not the most important. He is not the, the most important part of this relationship is the unity of one. One has to be our focus. You get to one by being humble, by not having to have your way all the time, by realizing that it's not all about you, that you are not the end all, be all, cure all. Some of you, maybe you're on your second marriage. Maybe you got married later in life and you were single for a long time and you were set in your ways. One of the most difficult things to do is to combine two adult lives and try to make one out of them. It really truly is because you have become very set in who you are. I, I would ask a general question here. How many of you, if your spouse makes you your coffee, go back and add to it after they make it? Those are little things. They, you, you like your coffee the way you like it, and they may not necessarily know how to make it the way you like it, or maybe they think that you should like it their way. Those are little things. Those are little things in life that can be magnified to be big things. And I'm not saying you need to change the way you drink coffee. Because I'm one of those people, if Aaron makes my coffee, I always go back. I like a little coffee with my and cream. So it's uh, like coffee flavored half and half. That's what I have. So I always usually add a little bit more. I'm very thankful and very appreciative of the fact that she makes it for me, but I always add a little bit more to it because I, I like very sweet coffee. I don't even know why I drink coffee because I put so much into it that it doesn't make it taste anything like coffee, but that's okay. What is humility? It's the ability to accept your place in a relationship no matter what. The ability to accept your place in a relationship no matter what. It doesn't all have to be about you. It doesn't all have to be your way. Humility doesn't need the credit. Humility rejoices in the success of the marriage. That's what matters. Humility rejoices in the success of the marriage. Not in the personal success that you have in your life. Two are becoming one. If you don't want two to become one, don't get married. Because if you're going to build a Christian marriage, two have to become one. Pastor John, you have no idea how pig-headed and stubborn my husband is. Have you met my dad? <laughs> hey. Have you met me? I know what stubborn is like. There is no caveat or exemption or exception for a stubborn spouse. Understand that. There's no exception for an immature spouse. There's no exception for a, 
uh, a spouse who isn't very good with finances. Humility, gentlemen, many times we, we want to be in charge of things because that's who we are as men. We want to be the ones in charge. <laughs> but perhaps your wife is better suited to handle the checkbook than you are. She may be better with money than you are. You know what humility is? Turning over control of the finances to your spouse and allowing her to say, okay, here's your allowance for the week. Not in a, not in a way that is dehumanizing or, or emasculating, but in a way that says, hey, listen, we've got bills to pay, we've got a mortgage to pay, we've got food to put on the table, we've got children to clothe, therefore we need to set this much aside it's not okay to go keep buying brand new controllers for the Xbox. It's not okay to buy the new game every time it comes out. You can actually wait three months until somebody has played through it. Some 12 year old has already beaten the game and they turn it back into GameStop and you can buy it for 25% of the price. That's right, I'm cheap. I got it. Listen, these shoes, these are, uh, these are like $180 shoes. You think I paid $180 for them? No how, no way. eBay, brother, eBay. That's right, I go on eBay. If I, I get, I'm, I'm cheap there too. I'm not, I'm not afraid to lose a, lose a bid. <clears throat> but maybe, just maybe, your spouse is better with the finances. Then let them handle the finances. That's what humility is saying, I'm not good at this. And quite honestly, if we're gonna get ahead in life, if we're going to be able to pay our bills, if we're gonna be able to move forward, if we're gonna be able to pay for the, the, uh, pay for the car repairs and do this and that and set money aside for these things that we want to do, then you're the one that's gonna have to handle it and I'm gonna have to step in the back, step in the back and make do with the money you give me every week. And I'm gonna be okay with it because that's what's best for the family. And there are all kinds of different situations and scenarios that go on. I've used this before, I'll use it again. For our family, when Gabriel and Michael came into the home, the best situation for me, you talk about, gentlemen, you talk about a humbling experience. I became a house husband. Now, I still had my job as the pastor, but I moved, I moved my office up to our house so Erin could continue her career as working for United Healthcare. And I took care of Gabriel. I was their primary caregiver. And it was, it, the ladies at the, at the park thought it was so sweet. Yeah, well that's, that's so nice. Go to Chick-fil-A and like, they just, it's sweet. Invite me to join their book club. <laughs> no, I don't want to read the notebook. Okay. Not me. If you want to leave, read Tom Clancy's latest one, let's go for a Rainbow Six. We'll read that. Humility is willingness to step out of the lead and say, you are better at this part than me. Our marriage will thrive if you take the lead on this. Or we need to be collaborative on this point. Our marriage will be better if we would collaborate on how to do this. Humility doesn't have to take the lead. Humility understands that if two are going to become one successfully, that it means that 
I must die and we must live. I must die, we must live. Us must be the important part of this home now. How do you show humility? How do you display humility? Well, I think you celebrate your spouse, spouse's success. I think you celebrate what they, what they do. I think when you come home from a long day's work and your spouse has been with the children, whether the husband or wife has been with the kids all day, or they come home and they've had a rough day at work, that you actually sit down and listen. And maybe they need to be the one to tell their stories first. And their stories may, their nightmare of a day may make yours look like a day in heaven. But allow, other, allow, allow your spouse to share and make their, their experiences more important. Intentionally divert credit. Intentionally share credit. And partner in everything you do. Make sure that you are connected in everything that you do. Humility is also in displayed when we make mistakes. If you are too proud to apologize, you will ruin your relationship. Plain and simple. If you are too proud to apologize, you will ruin your relationship. Why? Because that will leave, if you don't apologize, if you don't get things right, it will leave an open wound that will continue to fester and become infected and will, be, will continue to chip away and kill that relationship and eventually will destroy the relationship that you have because it will never have been gotten through. If you're too proud to apologize, you're going to ruin your relationship. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we always talk, use this verse when we talk about humility. Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. I don't know about you, but all my quote-unquote sacrifices, all my, all, all my work, all my service pales when I compare it to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When Paul writes to me and, say, and says, be humble like Jesus was humble. The creator of all things came down to earth and allowed his creation to beat him and abuse him and spit on him and mock him and pull out his beard and drive nails through his hands and feet and put a crown of thorns on his head and drove them so deep into his skull that blood poured down from his skull like water. And he allowed them to hang him between heaven and earth naked before the world in amazing humiliation and shame. He was willing to do that because you needed a savior. And when I think of the, humili the humility of Jesus Christ, 
and I compare it to the things that I need to be humble about in my life, there's no comparison. And I bow the knees of my heart and say, God, forgive me for my arrogant pride. When people have hurt me, and when I struggle with decisions that go against me, and people talk about me, and people say nasty things about me, and I take that complaint to God, the Holy Spirit always reminds me, John, your Savior told you, just like the world hated him, they're going to hate you. And I humble myself and say, I'm so sorry. If you are not willing to humble yourself in marriage, your marriage will not survive. The fourth area of personal character is the area of self-control. Self-control. Tough one. Tough one. Max Licato, one of the, one of the premier authors of our, Christian authors of our generation, said, I am a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose self-control. Solomon wrote to us in Proverbs 29, verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. That's probably some of the best advice you'll ever get when it comes to a marriage relationship. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. I don't even think I need to go in into any explanation about that. There are times where we just want to lose control and lose our stuff on some. We just want to vent our anger because we believe it is deserved. A venting of our anger is deserved. Yet we're told in the Bible that a wise person will hold that anger in check. Why? Well, because it's a lack of self-control, and self-control is one of the key ingredients to personal character. Psalm 40, uh, 141 verses 3 and 4 say, Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Do not let my heart turn to any evil thing or perform wicked acts with evildoers. Do not let me feast on their delicacies. Lord, keep a watch at the door of my mouth. Gentlemen, go ahead and run your mouth at your wife, not to your wife, at your wife, and see how much respect she gives back and see how long your marriage lasts. Ladies, wives, go ahead and berate your husband. Go ahead and tear him down. Go ahead and tell him how much a failure he is and see how long your marriage lasts. Would you do that to yourself? Because remember, two are becoming one. And if you truly want this marriage thing to work in your home, 
You will not tear down your other half. You will build them up. You will try to be understanding. You will try to be loving and comparing, even, uh, loving and caring, even when they do stupid things. Now, I believe you should hold them accountable, just like we should hold ourselves accountable. But when someone says, I'm sorry, and you accept that apology, you are now responsible to let that go. And quite honestly, some things should never be said. Words spoken in anger, words spoken out of frustration, words spoken out of a lack of true understanding and knowledge, overreaction to a simple statement, overreaction to a misunderstanding. Those are the things that destroy a marriage. And those are the areas in which self-control is so vital and necessary. After living as much life as I've lived, you would think that self-control would be incredibly easy. And it's not. It doesn't get easier. Yeah, there may be tools and tricks you put into play that help you, but there's always going to be a need for self-control. There's always going to be a time where you're going to have to say, okay, I do need to step back from this. I do need to step away. And although I want to react and I want to, I, oh, I want to, I, I just want to throw these words out and I want to hurt my spouse with my words. Listen, let's not lie about this, okay? Let's be honest. Sometimes people get to that point. If you don't have the self-control to take a step back and say, Lord, please keep a guard at the door of my mouth. Why do you think we encourage memorizing scripture so much? Why do you think Pastor Osvaldo is teaching about prayer so fervently on Wednesday nights right now? Why do you think we are pushing so hard for small groups? And let me just say this about those small groups. Shame on you if you're not going to be a part of it because you don't like the topic or because you don't like the fact that we're doing small groups. Shame on you, Christian. That is an investment in yourself, in your marriage, in your walk with Jesus, and in your church. And quite honestly, as the pastor of this church, I don't really care whether you like what we're studying or not. Between the pastoral staff, we have decided through prayer and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we have been called to pastor. That is our calling, not yours. That is our calling. Therefore, we are the ones to lead in these things. So why not just say, you know what? I may not be the one to make that decision. Maybe, just maybe, I need to trust my leadership and get on board and see what happens. And I'll guarantee you, if you do that, you will grow in your faith. And not only will you become a stronger Christian in your faith, you'll also become a stronger husband or a stronger wife. You'll also become a stronger church member. This church will only go as far as you're willing to go with it.
Listen, I'm, I'm all in. I've been all in with this church since I came back in 2002. In fact, it was before that when I was a teenager, I was all in here. I believe in new life. I believe in what God wants to do in this church. But I also know that if we as a church don't come together and get self-control over how we see things and over who's in charge and who's in control and who makes decisions, then we're not going to move forward. And this church is simply a larger group made up of families. And, it, and if you take that mentality towards your family and realize my family, my marriage isn't going to be successful unless I realize that I need to exercise self-control, then your marriage isn't going to be successful. I know these are hard words. I understand that. But I also understand that they're true. Galatians 5, and 23 tells us what we should be like. Ask yourself if you are a mirror of Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Oops, what's the next one? Oh, oh, mm. It's a fruit of the Spirit just like love and joy is. Did you know that God equates joy and self-control on the same level? In fact, your joy is built on your self-control. Because the more self-control you exhibit, the, more, the less of you that is exhibited, the less of you that is exerted in life, the less of you that is exerted into your, into your marriage, and the more the two become one, and the more you work together to have self-control, the more joy you're going to have. Said I'm never. I, I, I may unless I hit the lottery. I'm never going to be a wealthy man. I've I've come to that conclusion. <clears throat> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I'm happy. I've got joy. You know why? Remember that Sue the the old song we used to sing. My father owns a cat. The cattle on a thousand hills. Remember that. <laughs> My heavenly father. <laughs> he's God, man. Top that. Top that. My boys, my, my two youngest boys think that the, the sun rises. They ask me all the time, Dad, are you stronger than Hulk? Of course. Jeez. Hulk. <laughs> he's, he's a baby. My gosh. Dad, do you have powers like Iron Man? Of course. <laughs> Iron Man has to wear a suit of titanium. I have titanium in my body. It's part of me. But I'll tell you what. As a father, I am nothing compared to my father in heaven. He's the ultimate. He's God. If he says that self-control is important, if he says I can be the master of my self, then I have to take him at his word. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and self-control. Self-control overcomes fear. We teach our children how to overcome fear all the time, right? We, we, we take them through steps of overcoming fear of darkness. 
Maybe you leave the light on for them when they go to bed. And maybe you graduate to leaving the bedroom door open so the light from the hallway shines in and they can see the light. Or then maybe you give them a night light until finally they become teenagers and say, shut the light off, mom. It's only one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm trying to sleep. We need to understand that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. God hasn't given us that spirit that overcomes our common sense and our self-control. He has given us self-control to overcome our fears. <laughs> right now, parents, this many of you watching us on Facebook, can I just be honest with you? It's time to come back to church. It's time to come back to church. You're cheating your children out of what they need. You're cheating your family out of what they need. It's time to come back to church. Right now, you're letting your fear overcome your faith. Difficult to say that a year ago. Not so much anymore. Massachusetts is one of eight states now that has hit that magic number of 70%. Did you know that? We've hit over 70% of our population in Massachusetts that have been vaccinated with one, at least one shot. Folks, that's herd immunity. That's what we've been saying for, that we've needed for all this time. So now what's gonna be your excuse? Oh, Pastor John, you're so mean. No, I'm finally, I listen, I'm saying, folks, what's, what's it gonna take to get you back to church? What's it gonna take? Do you realize, and I know I'm speaking to people who are in church, but I'm also speaking to people who are online because this is watched by many people. What's it gonna take? My gosh, do you realize the damage you're doing to your family? I've, I've literally ministered to thousands of families and thousands of teenagers in my life. I spent 20 years as a youth pastor. My youth ministry in, 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 uh, in Missouri at its height had over 300 kids in it, over 300. That's bigger than most churches in America. I had 12 different high schools represented. I can't count the amount of middle schools I had represented. And I was run, running myself ragged going to games and graduations and concerts and this and that and the other thing because that's what a youth pastor does. The kids that were the easiest to deal with, the kids that were the easiest to motivate were the kids whose parents made sure they were in church when they were young. The kids that gave the most trouble and the kids that I had to go visit in juvenile hall were the kids whose parents didn't, think, didn't give a rip about having their family in church and thought going to the lake was more important. Thought going that, that Sunday was the only day Six Flags was open. My sons, just like your kids, they spent the last 14 months in, in prison. <laughs> I let my boys skip school on Friday. We went to Six Flags. Now I wrote, a, a, no lie, Jonathan, if you ever post that picture, I'm going to kill you. Jonathan took a picture of me. I had, I had to rent a scooter. I rode a little scooter around. That's right, I rode a scooter around Six Flags. I was the, the, the angry old man with the scooter with the horn. Get out of my way, kid. But I wanted my boys to have a good time, and they did, they had a great time. They went with Osvaldo's kids, Charlie went with us. They had a lot of fun. And I forget where I was going with that, but that's all right. The last area that we need if we're going to be strong, godly families, if our marriages are going to be strong and if we're gonna build on 
personal character is this, folks, you need courage. You need courage. I love the cowardly lion, uh, his, his speech in, in uh, The Wizard of Oz about courage. Bob Morley, a great philosopher, Bob Morley said this, you never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. You never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. And Nelson Mandela, one of the, one of the strongest leaders of, of equality in our time, my time, said this, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not the one who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Joshua 1.9, the word tells us, haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? Courage. Courage for the believer doesn't come from yourself. Because courage that comes from yourself is foolhardy. Courage as a believer comes from your Father in heaven. Courage as a believer comes from appropriating the scriptures and applying the scriptures and understanding the scriptures and realizing that the scriptures are your strength. The sword of the Lord is your strength. As a married couple, as an individual in a marriage relationship, you need to have courage. Because there are going to be times that you have to face difficulties. You may have to face difficulties together, or you may have to face difficulties all alone but you're gonna have to face difficulties. And if you're going to be successful in marriage, you're going to have to have the courage to go beyond the struggle, to go beyond the temptation to quit and walk away. It is too easy to walk away today from anything, but especially marriage. <laughs> courage, <clears throat> courage is not false bravado or bullying. It's not the foolish actions of one who jumps before counting the cost of one's actions. Courage might mean having the confidence to attempt the difficult but worthy project, the nerve to say no to peer pressure, or simply the courtesy to be outgoing and friendly to others even when you don't feel like it. I've, I make no secret about the fact that I'm, I, there are times that I'm painfully shy. It's painful to be as shy as I am in situations. Try being shy and be married to Aaron Chase. She's, if, if we were on the dance floor, I'd be the guy just standing there, and she'd be the one, you know, the Charlie Brown dance all around me. Because Aaron is just, she doesn't know a stranger. And if she finds a stranger, she makes sure that they're not a stranger anymore. And there are times when I have to screw up the courage. And this may, this may not seem like a big deal to those of you who are very outgoing, but for those of us who would rather just kind of hang out in the background. When your spouse is so outgoing and calls you over to introduce them, introduce you to people, it's like, 
why'd you do that to me? And I have to screw up the courage to be cordial. Courage is the, not just the ability, but the action of supporting your spouse in their pursuits. Courage in marriage is the willingness to have that conversation, to make that sacrifice, to take that step of faith, to provide security when you're terrified. Listen, for some of you who are here, for some of you who are watching, courage in your marriage, spiritually, sometimes, means you go to church alone. Courage means that you are willing to be spiritually single while your spouse figures it out with God and while you pray for them and work on them and live before them what it means to be a godly person. Sometimes that's exactly what courage in a marriage is. Courage is trading confidence for fear, trust for doubt, an olive branch for a harsh word, and a loving embrace for a slammed door. Courage is the act of going beyond your own emotions and feelings to get to the heart of what's right and then following through with love. That's courage. Courage in a marriage. Marriage is not a relationship for the faint of heart. Marriage is not a relationship for, for wimps. Marriage is a difficult, difficult task. Therefore, it requires courage to face the difficulties, to face the challenges, to say yes when you want to say no, to say I'm sorry when you're supposed to, and to say I forgive you when it's necessary. building your marriage on the pillar of personal character, being a person that can be trusted, that you are investing in that marriage as much as your spouse is. That's what we're talking about. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here today, the privilege of looking into your word and understanding what it is that you have for us today. Father, I know that in our church right now, Lord, there's a lot of struggle going on. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of pain. I pray that we will look to you first. We'll not give up. We'll not walk away. We'll not take the coward's way out, God. But that we'll stand up and fight for our lives with you. That we'll stand up and we'll fight for our marriages. That we'll stand up and fight for our church. It's time, Lord. Would you give us that courage? Father, I pray that you'll bless every marriage relationship in this church. I pray that you'll bless every life in this church, those who are single. Lord, bless each and every one of us because these, these principles that we've been talking about, Lord, while they work well in marriage, they also work well in our lives. So would you give us the courage? Would you give us the strength to pray and ask to make these ours? Bless us as we go from this service today. May we honor you. May we go forward worshiping you and sharing your love and grace with a world so desperately in need. In your name we pray. Amen.